0: Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 130 and 23, Sabbath and Authority, Fourth Commandment, Ezekiel, as 44, verses 23, 24. Devil quote. The Sabbath and Authority, Ezekiel 44. Verses 23 and 24. (laughs) And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And in controversy, they shall stand in judgment, and they shall judge it according to my judgments. And they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all mine assemblies, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. There is a description of marriage in the Bible that sometimes causes women to snort. In the book of Ruth, Naomi, as she speaks to Ruth concerning her plans to find a husband for her, declares, this is in Ruth 3.1, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee. Now the word that is here used for rest is not exactly the same word as the word rest which is translated as Sabbath. So they are two different words for rest and yet there is a relationship between the two. Marriage here is spoken of as a rest for the woman. Now, of course, a woman is inclined to snort at that and call attention to all the chores she has to do and to say, well, it may have been a rest for Ruth. After all, she was out gleaning in the fields, working hard to earn a living for herself and her husband, uh, and her mother-in-law. So to have a husband certainly was going to be a rest by comparison. But this is not the point. Her rest was not that she later married Boaz, a wealthy man. It would have been a rest had she married a poor man and worked just as hard. The concept of marriage as rest meant to be under the care and authority of a man. Even as a man's rest is to be under Christ, and his authority for a St. Paul said in 1st Corinthians 11 3 for the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man rest therefore means here to be under authority we can understand the meaning of rest in this sense, if we stop for a moment and consider our world today. One of the things that makes it difficult to feel at rest is the growing lawlessness. The fact that there is no law and order, the fact that our very capital today has block after block that is still a shambles, where store owners do not feel that they can reopen their places of business so that whole streets stand vacant and burned out certainly does not make us feel able to rest, does it? There is no principle of authority, and the lawless of the land, the criminals, the hoodlums, the rioters, they know this. this fact certainly does not make for rest for us. But if there were a principle of authority, you could rest. We are told that in the early centuries in England, when it had been a situation of utter lawlessness, a strong Christian king took over and he dealt with such authority and threw such terror into all evildoers because, of course, St. Paul declared that rulers should be a terror to evildoers. But it was finally said that a virgin could walk from one end of the kingdom to the other with a bag of gold without any guard and be unmolested. Now, in such a situation, a good man could rest. There was authority. And this is why when Scripture speaks of marriage as rest, For a godly woman. The whole point is, it is rest because she is under authority. An authority that protects her, that provides for her, that gives her a position of freedom and dignity in that care, in that rest. It is true rest, therefore even though she may be working hard because she is under authority and walks in the confidence of that authority. This, of course, is the meaning of that text in Corinthians that nowadays distresses a lot of women. The verse which speaks of the woman's long hair on the covered head. It is, of course, A proper attribute of worship that in some churches to this day, a covered head, a kerchief or a hat is required. What does it signify? That long hair on the covered head were signs of submission to authority, to the authority of the husband. And that authority, St. Paul said, is power on her head. Now that's a curious phrase, power on her head. What did it mean? It meant that in the ancient world and until fairly recent times, in recent generations, this was still true on the frontier here in the West not too many years back. A woman with a covered head and long hair could walk down a western town that was lawless secure why it was power on her head it meant she was a protected woman she had the authority of a man behind her so that no one dared touch her but her husband or her father if she was a younger girl would be a man they had to reckon with if they touched her their life might be at stake it was power on her head she was protected if she went without it which prostitutes did it meant she was open game and advertising the fact thus marriage could be spoken of in biblical terms as a rest for the woman because she was under authority and that authority gave her power and it gave her freedom. She could rest in that position. What she could not be on her own, she was under her husband. Now, this is closely related to the concept of the Sabbath. It is a rest. The godly. And it is spoken of as a holy rest. And the Sabbath is spoken of as holy to the Lord or, or a rest unto the Lord. Because it is the covenant sign, a sign of our subjection to God and of our acceptance of God's authorities on God's terms. We are under authority. We can rest. We know that we have God's protection. That we have God's care when we walk on God's terms and under His authority. So the Sabbath is to us a sign of power, of authority, of rest in the Lord. God declared in Ezekiel twenty twelve, "I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them." Again in Ezekiel forty four verses twenty three and twenty four, our text, God says, "They shall teach my people speaking of the Levites, the religious leaders." the difference between the holy and the profane, that which is under God and that which is outside the temple because that is the literal meaning of profane. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And in controversy, they shall stand in judgment. They shall bring authority to bear upon controversy, the authority of God and his Word. And they shall judge it, every controversy, according to my judgments. And they shall keep my laws and statutes in all mine assemblies. And by way of summing it up, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. Are the Sabbaths hallowed? Only when before they come to the Sabbaths, They have made the point of discernment between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean, when they bring the word of God to bear upon every controversy, when they keep his laws and statutes in all his assemblies. These are the preliminaries, the necessary ingredients to hallowing, Sabbath, which is a sign of subjection to God and to his authority. Thus, while rest, in the sense of cessation of labor, is a part of the Sabbath, it is not the entirety of it. As a matter of fact, when we go through the various Sabbaths of the Old Testament, we find first of all the weekly Sabbaths, which did require a cessation of work, the moon, new moon Sabbaths and the feast of trumpets, when labor was not forbidden, but sacrifices and family observances were required, the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee, the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, these were all Sabbaths. Most of them required a cessation of labor, but not all. But all of them required a light submission to the authority of God. So that when we are told to keep the Sabbath day holy, this means far more than no work. Holiness in itself implies authority. It means separation and dedication to God and living under him. This means, therefore, that the rest of the Sabbath comes from the fact that the covenant man is under authority, and he can rest in that fact. He keeps the Sabbath, therefore, as a Sabbath to the Lord our God, as a sign of the covenant. He keeps it holy unto the Lord. He recognizes the basic, uh, basic fact of the sovereignty of, and the authority of God so that his Sabbath rest must set forth God's sovereignty and authority not our rest our rest is an important aspect of the Sabbath but the authority of God recognized is primary now from this it is apparent that the development of the synagogue and the church out of the fourth commandment, is logical. We saw that originally the Sabbath was not a day of worship. It was a day of rest. There were no congregational meetings in Israel. The Sabbath was not kept as a day of worship until sometime during the captivity it began, and after the captivity it began a formal part of the life of Israel. But while not a part of the original Sabbath, it was still a logical development because to be under authority requires now. How can you be under authority unless you know the nature of that authority, what that authority requires of you? And so Israel, having been apostate, came together during and after the captivity to know the nature of God's authority, to study again the word. The Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15.21 declared, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Israel, having been lawless, turned again to the law, that they might know the Lord. A growth in the knowledge of God and his law word is thus important to a celebration of the Sabbath, and all the evidence of the New Testament indicates that the Christian Sabbath is geared to a knowledge of scripture, and that this is basic to Christian rest. The saved man, to serve God, gathers to study his Word. Then we must say that while the Christian Sabbath is linked to Israel's Sabbath, it has undergone a change in view of Colossians 2, 16 and 17, which says that the old Sabbath ordinances are now altered. The form which was required in the Old Testament gives way now to the meaning, St. Paul says, which meaning is Christ. So that the woman no longer is bound to avoid even starting a fire on the Sabbath. But she is bound to recognize the authority of Christ every day of the week and supremely on the Sabbath. The form gives way to an emphasis on the meaning so that Calvin, as he analyzed the passages of Scripture and pointed out the works of mercy, the works of necessity, went on to say nonetheless, the Sabbath is violated even by good works so long as we regard them as our own. We are the Lord's. We are at all times under authority. So that whatever good work or work of necessity we may do on the Sabbath and every day of the week, we do because we are extending the authority of God and his reconquest of the kingdoms of this world, bringing all things, extending his salvation, his health, into all corners of creation. The essence, therefore, is our rest in Christ and our growth in the knowledge of that salvation by his grace. The first day of the week was in palestine a work day and it was a work day throughout the roman empire and this is why the christians in the early church worshiped in the evening go through acts and you will find that they met in the evening the men worked during the day they had to it was a work of necessity they were compelled to or they would lose their jobs and they met in the evenings and we know on one occasion a young man fell asleep sitting in the window and fell to the ground floor dead and was raised up by Paul. If work had been under the same ban in the New Testament as the old, Paul would have spoken of it. But Paul spoke of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. But then we must say that the Christian Sabbath as a day of rest can in a sense only be observed by Christians because the Christian alone is truly capable of resting. The wicked, Scripture says, are as the troubled sea which cannot rest but cast up casts up all manner of mire and dirt. God works in the believer by his word and by his spirit to bring growth in grace and wisdom as they rest in him. And the godly man as he walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly or the lawless, but in the word of God, flourishes. Psalm 1 brings this out. This psalm has not been properly translated by most translations, and a biblical archaeologist and Hebrew scholar, who unfortunately is not well known for the area of his specialty, Dr. Theodore Jackman, has brought out this aspect of the first psalm in his translation of it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the lawless, nor standeth in the way of the unlawful, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall flourish. The lawless are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the lawless shall not stand in the judgment, nor the unlawful in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the lawless shall perish. True obedience thus, rests in true knowledge and true knowledge places us under authority to be under authority therefore is to rest and he who truly keeps the sabbath is the man who places himself under the authority of god let us pray Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee that Thou hast separated us unto Thyself and hast placed us under authority so that there is power upon our head. Give us grace, therefore, day by day to walk under authority that we may truly rest in Thee. Knowing our God that Thou wilt never leave us nor forsake us, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I shall not fear what man may do unto me. Our Lord and our God, how great is our rest in Jesus Christ. And we praise thee. In Jesus' name, Amen. Are there any questions now? first of all, with respect to our lesson. Yes. 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 To rest in the Lord means to rest in his authority. To rest in the confidence that God is God. So this is a deeper sense of rest, you see, than we usually think of. When most people say, I'm going to rest, they mean I'm going to stretch out and do nothing, or I'm going to go out and uh, indulge in a little recreation. But the rest here is, in its deepest sense, in its truest sense, resting in the Lord, that is, in the confidence of his authority and his sovereignty. Yes. God and obey man. Because you see, the authority of the husband or of a mother or of a court or of a civil magistrate in any area is at all times limited by the word of God, so that they have no authority when they go beyond scripture. A father who commands theft at that point has no authority. He has authority only under God, never independently. Similarly, let's put it in another way. A pastor has no authority apart from the word of God. And a pastor can never command any respect or any authority when he steps out and speaks where he has no authority to do so or goes beyond the word of God. Any authority is at all times conditional and limited except God's authority, which is absolute. don't have a breakdown of the family on the part of the children you have a breakdown of the family on the part of the father he is destroying it because he is destroying the foundation of authority you see he is abdicating the legitimate ground of authority in other words what has happened today in our country it's precisely because Officers in civil government have destroyed the legitimate ground of authority which is in God. And they are playing gods, which is exactly what they are doing. That authority is collapsing all around us. You see, either authority is godly authority or it ceases to be authority and you have anarchy. So uh, the father who transgresses the ground of his authority has created anarchy. It isn't the children who do it. He has done it.
1: The mm-hmm.
0: question of a discrepancy of authority... I think is an exaggerated uh, a discrepancy of interpretation is an exaggerated one because when it comes to the commandments they're very plain thou shalt not steal thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not bear false witness and so on thou, these uh, it's pretty hard short of being deliberately perverse to have a differing interpretation here you see So that when God commands, his commandments are simple. All we have to do is to set ourselves to them and we can understand them. They are so worded that a child can understand. It's as St. Augustine said concerning all of scripture, that the word of God is deep enough for an elephant to drown in and shallow enough for a child to wade in. In other words, the profundities are so great that the greatest philosopher cannot exhaust the depths of the word. And yet, it's simple enough for a child to grasp. So, the problem is not one of an intellectual difference of interpretation, but sin, whereby the father, or whatever authority may be involved, perversely, wickedly misinterprets. Yes. Yes, such ministers should not be obeyed, in fact, they should be disobeyed, and they should be rebuked, because they are no longer ministers of God, they are ministers of Satan. good illustration. Now, as Christians, we can say that the Constitution embodied certain very godly and biblical principles when it said that draftees could not be used outside of the boundaries of the United States, that they could only be used for three purposes, to suppress insurrection To repel invasion and to enforce the laws of the Union now we do have an unconstitutional war in Vietnam very clearly and I think it is our duty when occasion requires it to say so but what is the point of these clergymen who are indulging in this civil disobedience they're not interested in the fact that it's an unconstitutional war they certainly said nothing about our unconstitutional war world war one world war two why because they were fighting for what they wanted and if tomorrow we should have a war against south africa they certainly would not call it an unconstitutional war so they are not interested in principle they are interested in preventing any communist from being attacked so that they are there is no principle of law they are defending they are trying to overthrow every legal principle here to disrupt the law if it were not vietnam it would be something else When the war ends in Vietnam these same men will be counseling civil disobedience about a number of other things as they already are with regard to property rights with regard to any number of other things so their counsel is basically one of lawlessness because they believe in no law except the will of man so uh, you cannot equate Their action with regard to the Vietnam War, with the uh, the action of those of us who believe we should have never gotten in there in the first place, but that we cannot leave except under honorable terms. the basic gospel of a lot of these clergymen is anarchism and a lot of the others it's Marxism this is about the only gospel you get with Some of the rest, it's just plain foolishness.
1: that after people's death that that the people who have made themselves right with God will be sitting in judgment on other people. And I don't know if this is true or not. I've heard this. If it is true, don't you think that that some Christians feel almost believable about this? I mean, they they, uh, look forward to it.
0: No, we are not going to sit in judgment on others. Christ shall. But I don't see anything wrong in being gleeful about seeing some of these people get it in the neck.
1: I certainly
0: am going to enjoy seeing some of these people get it in the neck in the days ahead. They have it coming.
1: And uh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry.
0: Our time is just about up. There is something that I'd like to read to you from the paper of... Wednesday, October 16, 1968, Founding Fathers' Role in Violence. In a way, the Founding Fathers are responsible for the wave of violence that has swept over urban black ghettos and college campuses during the past few years. That's the view of a man who has made a career of seeking out the causes of revolt, Dr. John P. Spiegel, director of the Lemberg Center for the Study of Violence, at Brandeis University. The founding father, Spiegel says, made a fateful decision to set up the United States as a limited democracy. Participating in its power power structure was limited initially by six ground rules. You had to be one white, two Anglo-Saxon, three Protestant, four middle class or better, five adult, and six male. Over the past two centuries, there have been repeated outbreaks of violence resulting from the efforts of excluded groups to gain admission into the power structure and the efforts of insiders to keep them out. One by one, the barriers have crumbled. Today, the main groups still excluded from real participation in American democracy are Negroes and young people, and they are now battering at the door simultaneously. Then he goes on at great length and concludes thus, In every head-on clash between insiders and outsiders, Spiegel has found the outsiders have tended to direct their violence against property. They burn, seize, or loot property in an effort to disrupt a system which they find hostile and oppressive. The insiders invariably retaliate with violence directed against persons. They shoot, club, or gas. The troublemakers demanding admission to first-class citizenship because they control the police and armed forces the insiders may manage to hold off the latest wave of outsiders for a considerable time but there always seems to come a point when the insiders either recognize the justice of the outsiders cause or simply grow tired of bloodshed and disorder At any rate, Spiegel says, the outsiders eventually have won every struggle in American history. Now, that is your new mythology as it is developing and being taught. And, of course, we are being told now that they burned millions of people in the Middle Ages, and witches in the Middle Ages and subsequently, and in Europe they are being told that In America, millions of Negroes were slaughtered under slavery. This is the new mythology. Now for something in a little lighter vein. This from uh, Litchie's cartoon uh, comment, Grin and Barrett. Uh, A public uh, speaker addressing uh, a group of voters says... Why should the oppressed American voter be forced to choose the lesser of two evils? Our new party offers you a choice of at least three. And that is just about our situation today. Now this from uh, Smidgens, the husband, as his wife is on the scale, says, See there, I told you you were putting on weight. You'd better get back on your diet, fatso. And her rejoiner, oh, yeah, well, I don't really weigh this much. It's just that I've got a lot on my mind today. <laughs> One last thing before we are adjourned. If any of you are not on the newsletter list, please give me your name and address uh, before you leave if you would like to receive the newsletter. And with that, we are adjourned. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christrules. Com.